Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the host of this program. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com. And we're here to have a dialogue on divorce. And today, I'm thrilled that my guest is Stu Webb, the founding father of Collaborative Divorce. Welcome, Stu. Hi, Katherine. It's great to have you, and I'm, uh, again, as I said before, I'm thrilled that you're going to join me, and I thought maybe we could start off by talking about what led you to think there had to be a better way. First, let me say that I'm I'm somewhat hard of hearing, so I'm on a caption phone, and so I can read what you say, but sometimes there's about a seven-second delay. Okay. And sometimes I can hear you. We can just chat. But sometimes if I don't quite get what you say, I can uh, I can read it. So that's great. All right. So thank I, you. I did get your question. And let's go back to how this all got started. I was a regular family law litigating lawyer for about 20 years, starting about 1970. And uh, by the time it got to be the late 1980s, I was getting pretty burned out. And I was getting ready to think I was just going to have to quit the practice of law. I just couldn't deal with that kind of pressure that every day, always having to perform, and you never know what's going to happen. It's always contentious, and no one is happy, and it's very pressurized. And I was just ready to say I'm going to have to give it, give it up. So I started taking some credits over at the University of Minnesota. I'm going to become a psychologist of all things. <laughs> you know, lawyers, I think we want to be psychologists anyway. At least family but, lawyers. <laughs> so as as I started doing that, I started thinking, well, you know, if I'm willing to quit the practice of law, maybe there's some way to do it kind of outrageously. You know, maybe there's some way to kind of do it in a way that I can do what I like to do and not have to do what I don't like to do. So I started experimenting a little bit with that and finally had a litigation case with another client that we said, let's see if we can just work it out. So we started working together with the clients and we were pretty successful. So we did that about a half a dozen or a dozen times. It was very uh, rewarding. But then we got that final one of those testing cases, Catherine, do you know what I'm talking about? One of those cases where everything turns to junk and all kinds of nasty things are going on. And it started, uh, we ended up not having to, not being able to settle it. And we had to uh, go to trial. And that was the worst case than I'd had in 20 years. And the painfulness of that got me thinking. And I said, my gosh, you know, if you're going to want to be a settlement lawyer, which I was trying to do, you've got to get out of the case if it doesn't settle. So, and then turn it over to the litigating lawyers. And that was the aha that started the collaborative movement with me. I thought, I will work with the clients, but if it doesn't, I will represent a client, but if it doesn't work out, we can't get it settled, then I'll withdraw, and uh, they'll go to court. Problem was, of course, I can't do that by myself because each party has to have a representative. So I had to find some other people to play with, <laughs> and yeah. that was the start of collaborative law. 
How did you actually, as you're speaking, Stu, how did you come up with that term, collaborative law? It just came. I wrote a letter when I was working with this idea. I wrote a letter to one of the Minnesota Supreme Court justices that I had acquaintance with and kind of outlined this idea to him. And I said, we'll call it collaborative law. So it just sort of came to my head. That's all. That's great. You know, it's it's so when I I have a similar story, although I didn't think of inventing something new because I didn't have to because I met you and I could adopt the model that you taught me. But I had a similar experience in my early part of my career. I litigated for 10 years and it was getting divorced myself, even after a decade of trying to to bring into my negotiations, the mediation techniques that I had learned early in my career and running into the same problem in every single case. And that problem was the other lawyer. And, you know, when I got divorced myself, the whole sort of knowing not just from the outside how bad this was for my clients, but from the inside, having been the client, how scary and how hijacking and anxiety provoking the system was. I mean, as if my life wasn't bad enough at that moment in, in, in time, right? I just thought well, that's right. And you know, the fact that you'd been you'd been through it and could see the pitfalls and can see the emotion that goes on with that. And to be able to stay centered enough to use some of your negotiating skills, that's wonderful. I was a divorce too early on and back in the mid-70s. And at that time, my wife and I were able to work things out uh, using the, I represented myself and my wife had a lawyer that I respected and we got it worked out, you know. So that's it. Both of those things are sort of precursors to what we're working with with collaboration, isn't it? Well, let me just tell you that my divorce was not that easy. We settled out of court. We were unable to mediate. Collaborative law did not, to my knowledge at least, exist in New York at the time. And we sort of cobbled together a very collaborative process. We never went to court. We bifurcated our parenting custody agreement from the money agreement, literally had two separate documents. And I credit my ex-husband's lawyer with settling the case because she presented it to him in a way that he was never going to hear it from me. You know, and I think in some ways, it took me years to realize that we'd had a very collaborative divorce, obviously no disqualification clause, but the disqualification clause was I wasn't going to court. (laughs) You know, that was not going to happen. We both found that, you know, we talked to people who would say, well, I try to settle all my cases. But so many of those cases are settled right on the courthouse steps, and the pressures that someone has to make a decision to settle it rather than go, if they don't get it settled, they're at the next state, and five minutes later, they're before a judge. And that kind of pressure comes, you make, make a lot of bad decisions. Yes, I think pressure, that kind of time pressure, that kind of fear pressure is never a place of making rational decisions. I think the brain research indicates that there may be very little such thing. But uh, uh, Catherine, do you use uh, uh, other team mem- other team members in your work? Yes, almost every single one of my cases involves an interdisciplinary team, and preferably uh, with both a mental health professional and a financial professional, usually working in the neutral role, both of them. Uh, I think that is so wonderful that the idea of using these other people to help out and to be part of a team is one of the most exciting things that happens in collaborative law. When we started, it was just the lawyers, and we worked out very well, but add these other insights and the other ways, 
people who can look at it from different perspectives is wonderful. And the idea that we can develop a feeling of trust and respect for the other professionals is one of the things that really makes the collaborative law really special and wonderful. I think so, too. I want to comment on that, but first I want to remind our listeners that this is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com and also available as a podcast on my website, which is www.westchesterfamilylaw.com. And I'm speaking today with Stu Webb, the father of collaborative law, sometimes called collaborative divorce or collaborative practice. And we're talking about the advantages of the collaborative model for a number of people. And Stu, you know, we were talking about the, you know, what we call the interdisciplinary model, where we work in an integrative way with mental health professionals and financial professionals. And, you know, one thing that I think really makes so much sense about that model is how it approaches the family in transition on a number of different levels that are really in flux and that we're really talking about, even when we're just lawyers, we're talking about money, we're talking about feelings, we're talking about parenting. So why not bring in those other professionals who have some real expertise around those issues to help the family make that transition successfully? I think that's what you're talking about. And the thing that that really does it for me is is to see the feeling that the, the team members get with each other that it's funny, you know, in litigation, the clients always used to want to get mean lawyers who hate the other parties, uh, yeah. the other uh, professionals, and that's just the opposite of what we do in collaboration. I think, uh, you know, I think early on what I realized, and I think I learned this from you, is that the one of the, if not the key difference between collaborative law and negotiating in the other model is the relationship between the lawyers. Right. And and that we can work together cooperatively in a supportive way to work towards the best resolution for the family rather than competitively where, you know, it's a zero sum game or worse. You know, a number of years after collaboration got started, collaborative law and collaborative practice got started, I ran across a book by Professor Manunkin, who was head of the Harvard Law sure. uh, Negotiating Project. And he wrote a book called, and I ran across it then, called Beyond Winning. He examined game theories and said as a result of looking at game theories of what comes out best for the clients, that the best thing for clients is when they have lawyers who trust each other and that you come out with the best solutions. And he said at that time, of course, it's hard to find lawyers who like each other, but if you can do that, then that's a good success. Well, then I thought, my gosh, maybe 10 years later, collaborative law came along. And here we have a situation where that's one of our primary assets is that we have this team feeling that we respect and and the other team members, and we provide something special that helps make settlements possible. I think that's great, Stu. And I also think this is hard work for lawyers. Say that again. It's hard work for lawyers to do. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so you laugh, and and I can laugh about that, too. You know, can you talk a little bit about why it's so much harder for lawyers to work in this way than in that more traditional model? Yes, I think I'll say what I've put, I've put my finger on. Traditional lawyers, and my job as a traditional lawyer, is to perform. I'm expected to perform. I'm expected to do this for the client. 
I'm expected to win for the client. And it's a win-lose situation. And the pressure that goes on with that is that you're always trying to perform. Now, in the collaborative model, you're part of a, you're, you're helping the clients come to the solution. It's the client's case, and you're there to support the clients. We're not there as professionals to perform. We're there to support the clients in coming up with the best possible solution for their settle their case. Yeah, performance is a big is a big difference. That's interesting, and it's also I think about responsibility in a way. That's exactly right. That's what performance is, you know. Yeah, we're on the line. We have to win. Yeah, I always think of the old joke. You know, it's a guy comes into the lawyer's office and says, "What's four plus four? And the lawyer pulls the shades and shuts the door and says, "What do you want it to be?" <laughs> and then that, that's expected to be our job. If the client wants it to be five, then we have to work to try to make it five. That's really we're not being ourselves, and where clients are not being themselves. Just uh, a very tense situation where around the table. We can just sort of be there with the clients and help them come up with the best possible solution and get all the facts on the table. So many times in our litigation matter, as you recall as well, you know, it's hard to first get all the facts, and then we have to argue about what the facts are. Yes, and I think that I agree with you that that transparent exchange of information is so simple and so obvious as a way to save clients money and focus the professional expertise on resolution and problem solving instead of on paperwork that, you know, since most cases settle anyway, probably will not lead to settlement. Yeah. And when we have these other team members, then a lot of that, the clients don't, these attorneys don't have to argue about a lot of these facts. Some of them, like if you have a good neutral financial person, they can help work with the parties and coming up with the facts so we don't have to have that in the table, something we're, we're quarreling about. Parties can kind of come up with agreement with financial person on how that all should be presented. Yeah, and what their economic reality really is. Yeah. And yeah. I find that when it's really, I think this is kind of perhaps counterintuitive, but really an interesting thing that I've discovered over the years, and that is when somebody has a cash business or there are certain reasons to believe someone might not be forthcoming, they're yeah. much more likely to be forthcoming in the collaborative process where we're not putting it on the record or there's no risk of that. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, in some ways, the more challenging a situation economically, the better it is for the collaborative process because of the privacy involved in the process. Right. So Stu Webb, the father of collaborative divorce, my guest today on Dialogue on Divorce, what do you think, and this may seem like such an obvious question, so bear with me, but what do you think for somebody considering divorce are the advantages to the collaborative process? You know, it's hard. They're going to have to sit in a room with their soon-to-be ex-spouse. There are going to be feelings flying. Why would somebody want to do this? Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, in my experience, let me tell you I just an example of what often happens the first time we get together. The parties. Well, let me back up a little bit. I'm going to say something else. My cohort and I wrote a book called The Collaborative Way to Divorce. And in that book, we have a little test that clients can apply, see whether they may be good candidates for collaborative law. 
And most cases, they, they come up with the idea that they can give it a try. Now, in the first case, often the parties are very tense. They don't hardly, may often aren't speaking to each other. And the, the lawyers and the other team members are there to kind of help make this kind of an informal situation. It's not like there's a judge with a, with, in a black coat and on a pedestal listening to this. It's all we, we're just talking and chatting away. And it's the tendency to people then to kind of calm down. So maybe by the third time we get together, the parties are talking to each other and asking questions about, well, now, where is this kind of thing? And do you remember where the deeds are? And, and often saying, I think we can, we can make this, we can come up with some ideas on how to settle this. So they begin to relax into the situation because the team members are settlement specialists. So they're designed to kind of help people relax into this situation. And I think what you're saying is that in relaxing into the situation, being able to have some of those smaller dialogues, there's a, yeah. a sort of a, a new kind of, I don't know if I would want to call it trust, but rapport built with the parties and the team that allow us to establish a safe space for a, for a deeper or more challenging conversation. I think usually, you know, when we, when we get started and I just get started, we start talking to each other, to the other parties about what, what are their goals? What do they want to accomplish? And so we get them thinking about the future. What, what's the future going to look like for you people? And what, what do you want it to look like? And often when they ask one party to, what are your goals? They say things, you know, what are your goals for the children? Well, often they find each party has the same kind of, some kind of goals. So they can already getting some agreement on what they want to have happen. And so they can kind of maybe get off of some of their negative stuff and get thinking more about what they want to have happen for the final outcome. It's so and funny the, because I think that people often agree on 80%. I mean, walking in the door, they may agree on 80% and they're not focused on that. What they focus on, and this is just human nature. This is the way I think the brain is wired to focus right. on what they lose or what they don't agree on, you know, on the negative stuff, because that's where the danger lies. So that's part of our job to to get people to calm down and get people to see how they can work together. And that's one of the things that happens here. When litigation, we didn't do that kind of stuff, did we? In fact, we weren't even meeting with the other parties. We, no. were, we were scheming our, myself and my client on how to, how to sneak through things. I'm not saying I don't mean sneak things through, but how to do things and make demands instead of having a dialogue about what could, what could happen. You know, it's so funny. Years ago, I went to give a talk to the New York City Bar Association Matrimonial Committee about collaborative, and I gave my little spiel, and I talked about all the advantages of joint meetings, and at the time, we weren't an interdisciplinary group, so I couldn't offer that. And then a lawyer, well-known for her settlement approaches, you know, that she was she settled a lot of cases, and she had some theories about, of her own about settlement, raised her hand, and she said to me, wait, you put them together? I always try to keep them apart. <laughs> And I think that one thing that's very hard for people, the meetings together are hard, and they're the only way for them to really work it through together, because it's pretty hard to say yes in your lawyer's office well, without you the other know, person there. There is something that happens when you're giving a conversation and a dialogue instead of arguments, is the parties start, and we're looking with all the facts, the parties start seeing some things that maybe aren't just all only on their side. I remember one case I was representing the wife, 
and the husband was looking at the budgets. And he said, this is after they calmed down some, you know, and he said, well, looking at the budget, I don't think you're going to have enough money. I think I'm going to have to give you a couple hundred dollars more of child support. My client said, I think I'm supposed to say that. <laughs> That's amazing. And everybody laughs, you know. <laughs> so there can be that kind of a lightness that can show up when you're meeting this way instead of the, the scene. And anybody that's ever been in a courtroom and seen the arguments that are being made or actually watching any of the political debates, you're going to see the same result. Yeah. I think that anything that we can do as professionals to help people come out of their corner and engage with each other around things that are important to both of them, the better. I went to a a jazz show the other uh, two weeks ago, and I couldn't get a seat, so they asked me to sit with another person. He shared shared his table. Very nice. And all of a sudden he said, is your name Stu Webb? I said, yes, yes, you settled, you did my divorce in 1996. (laughs) (laughs) The only person I knew in this terrible large place and he talked about how things had worked out and how well the kids are now in their 20s you know, and how well they're doing and how it all worked out and how much appreciative he was that how, how they'd chosen this way to do it. That was only about four or five years after Collaborative started. So he was one of the early clients. But it was, it was a wonderful treat to have that happen. That's a wonderful story. It's so affirming of not only the work that you did, but the model that you stumbled across, because I think that's how you describe your history with it. I'm desperate to do something different. What's really great is that, is that it, was a, it was an idea that other lawyers could see, yes, I know exactly what, how Stu Webb felt at that time he had to give. I feel the same way. I'm wonderful that there's a way we can do this, that we can change the way this happens, and people can come out of it more civilized and friendly and working things out. And it's much better for the professionals too, isn't it? So much better. It's so much better. I want to go back and mention your book, The Collaborative Way to Divorce, which I know for a fact is available on Amazon, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also just, we have a few minutes until the end. What do you think about the application of collaborative law to non-family situations, to what we often call other civil matters? Uh, I think it's, you know, it's taken it's taken longer time to take hold, but I think that there's no reason. Any time anybody, any two people have a difficulty in a relationship, whether it's tenant, landlord, or employer, employee, or probate situations, any time where there's that cup of difficulty between parties, why well, it's natural for we can people can sit down with their advisors and work it out. Yeah, I think I totally agree with that, that in any conflict where relationship matters, and I can think of precious few where that's not true, that this kind of approach makes so much sense. Absolutely. And again, do you think if you had someone come up to you and say, you know, why should I do this? You know, what are the cons to this? What are the risks? What are the risks to collaborative law? (laughs) I, I don't know that there are any, frankly. People, they uh, the risk they think is uh, they might have to we'd, they'd have to switch lawyers if it didn't settle. Well, I find I don't know what your situation is, Catherine, but my we in our our work I we found about ninety percent of the cases got settled without uh, in in the collaborative process. Yeah, that's my and, experience too. Quickly, just 
We're wrapping up now. Thank you so much for joining me, Stu. I really appreciate the time you're taking today. Oh, it was lovely talking with you, Catherine. I always enjoy seeing you as well. It's been a long time since we got together, but uh, I've always been one of my favorite uh, favorite clever lawyers. Thank you. 